welcome to Pop of Passion. Join me, Jack Sparker, comedian and highly sensitive person, along with a guest every other week as we delve into our deepest passions, from being a plant dad to conquering insecurity with comedy. If you relish the memory of an unexpected late night conversation with a stranger about their obscure passion, the kind where you have tears in your eyes one second and are doubled over laughing the next, this is the podcast for you. Right. Hello and welcome to Pop of Passion. I'm Jack Sparker and I'm so glad you're here. My guest today could read out loud at the age of three. She co-hosts the podcasts Cardishinate, A Funny Feeling, and Patreon Exclusive, 90 Day Bay, and the newly launched Ellis for Losers. She has written for Brooklyn Nine-Nine and you may recognize her from Comedy Bang Bang, Throwing Shade, or the UCB stage. Please welcome to Papa Passion, Marcy Jaro. Hi. Hi, Marcy. How are you doing it today? It sounds so braggy to be like, I could read out loud at the age of... How do you know that you could read at three? Is that like a family story or do you remember reading at three? I do. Let's see. It's so hard because I've heard people say that, that there's no way I could remember that, but I definitely have memories of being pretty young and reading. I think it's because... I had a sister and my cousin were six years older than me, so uh, they read to me a lot when I was little. But I mean, I went to kindergarten when I was four and I was in college at the age of 17, not because I skipped. So I was the youngest child in in school, like in my grade. But I definitely was reading at three. Maybe it was closer to like the end of the age of three. But I yeah, I was always had my little books and I can remember like reading everything, like everything I could get my hands on. Yeah. Which is funny. I hate to read now. I never read now. <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny how we love things when we're little and they just leave us and they serve us for a time, but that's fine. Not forever. So um, I was going to ask you, you don't know what I'm going to ask. Um, what is your passion, Marcy Jaro? I mean, I have many, but... I would say that like a thing that I'm very passionate about too, that I would like to have other people feel passionate about is trusting your gut and your intuition. I love that. So what does that mean to you? You know, it's one of those things where I, I can never, I only exist in my own body, right? So I only know how I feel about things in my first impressions but I think that, you know, oftentimes we have an instinct about something, whether it's like a person or a thing we want to do or whatever it is. And, and instead of just going with the instinct, we think about it more and like, well, what does that mean? Or maybe I shouldn't think that about that person or like, yeah. you know, that's not fair or, you know, all these things. And I find more often than not my initial instinct is always correct I just don't have the justification for it yet totally there are so many instances where I felt the same way I wonder um like what's an example of a time when you've felt that feeling and also like what does it feel like physically you know well you know it, the the simplest examples are always people when you're like, well, I don't like them. <laughs> I know yeah. I don't like them. And people will be like, but they're so nice. What are you talking about? I'm like, just wait and see. 
Yeah. Just wait. I've gotten to a point now where I trust it so much that I'm like, you're all going to see why. I don't even know why yet, but we're all going to see this. Yeah. Why we should stay away from this red flag. Yes. I love thinking about red flags and I've tried to not be so negative in my life. So I've been thinking a lot about like, hey, look for the green flags. Um, And I do that like in my day job. I do it in my real life. And it never fails to be aware of how you're feeling. Oh, yeah. I talk about this in therapy. I'm also very passionate about therapy. Mm -hmm. The idea that emotion feels physical before you understand what it is. Yeah. And sometimes I, I, I can feel a little stunned by the emotion of something. Like I know that I'm angry, but it's so hard to articulate what about the situation made me upset or how like I'm not angry because I'm angry. I'm angry because I'm like, you hurt my feelings. And it's really hard to, yeah, to be able to put into words all the things that made you feel that. But your brain processes that quickly that it knows to send those signals throughout your body even before you fully understand what it is. And I think that the same can be said for intuition, that your body's responding to the environment around you. And sometimes we just tell our body like, no, 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 no. Like we we're like, that's anxiety or whatever. And, and it can be, right. but I, I think those things are hand in hand that are like, that's just an, um, your body is like really ready to survive. <laughs> I love that. My therapist often reminds me um, when I'm having anxious moments that anxiety is just a breath away from excitement. Yes. And I'm trying to embrace it and like process my emotions as excitement rather than anxiety because it's like it's really just a choice and it's sort of like they're two sides of the same coin. It's just how you look at it. Yeah. Also, look, I will say this. It's not for everyone, but for me, whenever I felt like my emotions were driving the bus and it logically didn't make sense to me anymore, I went to a psychiatrist and it was just a processing issue. And I take medication and I don't have as many instances like that where my brain is working overtime to figure out a situation that's not that big of a deal. Yeah. Definitely just even asking for help is such a huge step and it's so you get paid back like hugely. Yes. And yeah. I I thank you for mentioning like that you um, go to therapy because I think people will be inspired and also that you take medication like that's so important to me and has been since I was like 13 and I started a therapy journey in, on medication. So like thank you for sharing that because – it's huge and it's important. And I wish more people would um, at least see it as an option. Oh, yeah. You know? And th- there's nothing to feel like. Would you feel embarrassed if you needed, like, if you were a diabetic who needed insulin? Right. <laughs> like, no. Or even if you had, like, you know, hypothyroidism or something that you're like, my body's just not regulating itself this way. But with this medication, it helps. Now, it's not the, you know, it doesn't solve everything, but it helps me to not be in the danger zone. Totally. Yeah. There's like levels and my therapist describes like a ladder and you're on different rings of the ladder. And when you're at the top, like you're, you're like too high. So you got to be in the middle. 
Yes. You know, it's all about balance. Yeah. You have to at least like hang out in the middle more than you hang out at the top or bottom. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. My psychiatrist said when I first started and I like, I think I waited too long or if I could go back in time, I think I would try to get this help sooner. Right. uh, Because I think it would have really made a lot of things a lot easier for me and it would have taken away a lot of self-hate and self-blame yeah but he said to me that uh you know pain is inevitable and suffering is a choice which is like half true because if we have access we can make choices i only had access because i was very poor at the time i didn't even have health insurance but I knew him personally and he was like, I got you. I'm going to care for you. And I was just so lucky that like I knew him and he did me that huge favor of not charging me. Yeah. Access to mental health care is huge and it's so important. And I could like cry thinking about it, but I love that you like found someone and it's almost like, um, whatever you believe, like that person was placed in your path. Yeah. Because yeah. I also think that it's another example of gut instinct with this. Like I knew the family of this, uh, my doctor and the gut instinct is what drew us together to be like, we like each other. You're smart and you're funny and you're cool. And he has like a smart, funny, cool family. And I was friends with his kids uh, through another friend who's related to them. And then like, cause how weird is it to be like friends with your friend's cousins? But like there was that instinct to us to draw each other together. Yeah that that's so funny because I am um I come from a very large Irish family so it is very normal to be friends with your friends cousins because <laughs> everyone in my town is Irish and we all have a million cousins so we don't get to choose our friends um they're just our cousins for most of our life but <laughs> yeah it's amazing how people come into your life and make an impact and um it's sort of like um this is a little behind the scenes. I did listen to an episode of Cardition It this morning, which when this comes out will be a month old. But <laughs> you mentioned, um, you know, uh, people come into your life for a reason, a season. And then the last one is a lifetime. Thank you. I couldn't remember it. <laughs> now that you like know that phrase, I know you've only known it for a couple of minutes, like the, the final version. But do you think you can tell with your gut if someone's, there for a reason, a season or a lifetime? No, I, I, I think it's so hard to know for me, especially because there's so many factors at play. Yeah. You know, like it's not, it, it, it isn't a controlled experiment yeah. because I'm only part of it and other people have so many things in life that will change for them. So it, it can be hard. And I've had people like drop in, and then leave for a while and then come back. So Yeah. I mean, I don't think the reason season and lifetime is like foolproof. But I right. think if you knew someone was in your life for a reason and that reason was like a lesson and it was sort of more of a negative experience that you can turn into a positive by viewing it as a lesson, maybe we wouldn't go through with things because we'd be yeah. afraid of the pain. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, just how much we can grow from the bad experience or the, you know, it's so funny, like now that I've been therapy to think of things as like good or bad is a bit 
harder. Everything's a little bit more gray now because of all this. Because we know that yeah. there's so much affects us and how we think and we'll deal with things in the future. So, yeah, absolutely. There's so many factors, and you can never account for another human because humans are um, full of change and ever evolving. So, like, you really don't know what you're going to experience. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's kind of like a nice part of life though. Cause if I knew, I don't know, I don't think I would have had as much fun and I don't think I would have learned from the experiences. You know, it's so funny because I know that I always wanted, like I had an idea of what my life was going to be like, by this age, I definitely thought would be like so firmly in a career, married with kids. And at this age, I'm like, no, that's that. I mean, some of it would be, be nice to be like farther along or, or married or like, like, I don't know about kids and all that stuff. But I also, mm-hmm. when I was younger, always wanted to be an actor. And I still like find that like I, I'm I'm still pretty sure I will continue to act occasionally, but it's not the only thing I want to do. However, I was a little embarrassed to say I wanted to be an actor. So I always told people I wanted to be a writer, even though I didn't necessarily mean it. And guess what? I'm a writer now. So, Wow. I literally just got goosebumps that I love that. And it reminds me of a Lady Gaga quote that I kind of have lived my life by since I was in high school. Um, She says, like, if you tell the lie enough, it becomes the truth. And basically this the idea to just be delusional in your like self-worth. Um, yeah. That is so – like I think you told the lie enough that you believed it and people believed it and it happened. Even funnier than that though, I told this to people when I was 12. Right. And then I kind of stopped talking about it as I got older because I wasn't doing it. Yeah. So it was a lie that I told long, long, long ago and it took tw- – 20 something you know years to come to fruition yeah but you planted the seed yeah or maybe I knew yeah only you know like it's very powerful I mean I don't I don't (laughs) even know though that's the thing but I think more than anything I always knew I wanted to be a storyteller and I do it in a lot of different ways whether it's like acting writing or podcasting yeah and there are so many different types of opportunities in this day and age to be a storyteller. Um, I find that's like I've done improv, I've done stand-up, I've done storytelling and acting. And the one that I'm like most um, confident to claim and is storytelling because it's like it just makes sense. And I think there's something really nice about being a storyteller because you're sharing. It's not it's not yeah. like selfish at all. Absolutely. Yeah. It's you know, it, and sometimes you're not even telling your stories, you're telling other people's stories, especially now with like podcasting because the art of like oral storytelling kind of went away with television. Yeah. So, it's nice that it's come back in such a big way and we have we'll have archives and archives of people telling their stories. Yeah, forever. Now, in the future, people are going to be like, God, so many people were murdered because those right. are going to be all those stories. <laughs> yeah. And a bunch of, you know, um, 
moms who were bored solve murders and it's i love it <laughs> i mean that's what we should do we should put more people to to task with solving murders <laughs> yeah absolutely the people who are supposed to be doing it aren't doing it so well they're busy doing other stuff like right yeah yeah also it's so funny like not to be like into like the police stuff but whenever i was trying to like you know my parents are really my whole family is really conservative and i was trying to explain like defund the police i was like police officers aren't detectives right like police officers don't solve crimes they like put tape around it yeah. and like but then there's a whole other team that does that. We'll still keep those people. Yeah. You know, no, we'll yeah. have less soldiers, though. Right. And some of those soldiers can go get other jobs in other ways where they're like, oh, yeah, the, I'm I do this kind of call. Uh, yeah. But it's hard for people to conceptualize that reality. Absolutely. Even I find like my most progressive um, family members have trouble with the idea of uh, defunding or abolishing the police because they don't like the way it's labeled or like the language around it. But I was writing you an email this morning or yesterday about passion. And one thing I wrote that I actually deleted is I am fascinated by your ability to, um, I wish I could remember what I said because I worked on it for a long time. It was like accept and respect differing views of loved ones because <laughs> I, I'm I, really bad at it <laughs> it's impossible I, I've just like the past year especially has been uh, I've lived away from home for 15 years but I've never felt so far away from them uh, mm. they just live a different reality yeah. than I do uh, but and it can frustrate me especially when I'm talking to them but it does help me see the rest of the world it's like I you, you I can't say that they're bad people i just don't we don't have the same like compass that's yeah. all there is yeah that's a good way to put it it's something i really have struggled with especially in the past year but even before and i really admire the way that you handle it and talk about it because it makes me want to be better because i know i don't want to live in this leftist bubble you know what I mean like that's not a cool life that's not like a fulfilling life either so yeah. it's definitely something to think about also like in in like regards to like race issues in America uh for people uh, you know to be like so you think I'm racist it's like well racism isn't like uh having green eyes it's something you do or say or think it's not a permanent state but the best way that I understood it when I was like oh of course I've been racist of course I've done that of course I have like internal biases is like because I've I know how I did it with internalized misogyny yeah and I know how I have to fight it all the time yeah. when you have this like gut instinct to be like ugh, I mean I don't know why people are you're like oh Oh, it, this is internalized. It was, it's not, it wasn't just that I was taught it at, in my family structure. I was taught it in society. Yeah. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. And it's not permanent. So, Hey, if someone says you did something that was racist or misogynistic, chill out, think about it and try to change it. If you don't like the feeling of being labeled like that. Yeah. I think it's so important to 
like accept that we are ever evolving and ever changing and like to accept that other people can also evolve and change. So exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That like if someone did something in the past, you don't have to label them as that thing forever. Right. I mean, the caveat being that if they never acknowledge it, then it's really hard for anyone to heal from it. But, you know, kind of like back to the like policing, it's like, you know, I have a friend who's taught me a lot about restorative justice and that we don't have to throw people away, but they do have to make steps to admit what they've done to reflect on it and change and to never do it again. Yeah. It's a lot to think about like never again. Um, Cause that's huge, but that's like the only option. Um, I have a friend who recently uh, hit 100 days sober and it really is like a day by day thing um, in both instances, but it's sort of like you have to take it day by day, but also know that like it is forever because that is your reality and that's what's best for you and everyone. Yeah. The way we affect others. Yeah. And if we stop thinking about all or nothing, then we can probably get more done. Yeah. Like just full across the board, like even with writing that I'll be like, I didn't do anything today, but I'm like, well, I can do 30 minutes right now. I don't have to write for eight hours. No one writes for eight hours. It's impossible unless you're like on drugs. There's no way to do that kind of focused writing. Yeah. Uh, especially after being in a writer's room for three years. I'm like, do you know how much time is spent looking up gossip and blind items and then playing games? Like we have to take a break from it. So a thing I do, and again, everything in my life is an analogy, but if I can just like set a timer and write for 20 or 30 minutes, I will get so much more done than a week of feeling bad because I'm not doing, I'm not doing all the perfect thing to write. Yeah. Like I'm not like, you know, I sit in front of my computer and then I'm like, oh, I went shopping instead, you know. Yeah. I often set alarms for like 10 minutes in the future and I label it what I have to do because I can't do it in the moment. And if I set the alarm, I don't know. It's like magic. I do it. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that's like, you know, uh, for me, an ADD thing possibly that I I'm overwhelmed by all the things in front of me, but yep. if I know I have like a, just a, a very small amount of set time that I'm going to do this. Yeah. And, oh, have you ever seen the movie or read the book about a boy? I haven't. In it, the lead, the main character talks about thinking of his day in 30 minute chunks that like he has like, this is a, a section and this is enough. So all, cause he doesn't do anything. So he's like, I just break it up into 30 minutes all day long. Wow. I bet that's more effective than what I do. Well, cause we just feel guilty. And like, I should have said my passion is trying to get away from guilt because <sighs> that's what all of this has been about. It's like, like, life isn't good or bad or black or white. Like that's our, we have feelings that don't feel, that don't feel pleasurable to us, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean they're always bad because we can't see the full picture and you know, vice versa that some things feel really good and they actually won't long-term be good. Uh, and, but to get away from like <laughs> shaming yourself and punishing yourself more because you didn't meet expectations 
uh, is I think really important. Uh, I was just talking to a friend last night who was like gonna not drink for a month and then they they were drinking and they were like, I felt really bad because I even thought about that I told you I wasn't gonna drink for a month. And then I was like buying alcohol and I thought about it. And I was like, whatever, man, like you made the rule. You don't have to feel bad about it. You can do it tomorrow, like whatever it is, like feeling worse about it is not gonna help you reach your goal. Absolutely, yeah. That's like this past year for me and everyone, we've all learned so much um, about ourselves, but the thing I've been working on the most is managing my expectations of others and of myself mm-hmm. because I um, love him, but I have this grandpa and he's like larger than life from Ireland, um, great guy, but he absolutely has the highest expectations for himself and he passed that on to all of us. And um, there's a million of us, so we have these expectations of each other within the family, but then I expect others to be like the family and that's they weren't raised in that house in the house's subsequent houses, but I find that I expect so much out of everyone because I expect so much out of myself. And then I don't know which one's worse when I don't live up to my expectations or when others don't live up to my expectations, but basically... It doesn't matter which one's worse because they both suck in the moment and for the moments after. Yeah. Yeah. And to just try to, I don't know, to not hold on to that because, you know, if you're disappointed and you let that affect every moment thereafter with the person you feel disappointed with, then to be like, well, this isn't fun. This doesn't feel like I don't enjoy this. So either they're so disappointing that I don't need to interact with them or they're so disappointing that I need to like tell them about my disappointment and see if they can change some things Yeah, or I accept it. Yeah. I think sometimes um, we feel like I always know going into it like, Oh, this is going to disappoint me because that's another expectation And even if I expect to be disappointed, when I'm disappointed, I'm still upset about it. Mm. But it's weird how, like, I all we always know. You know what I mean? Like, when you said that your passion was listening to your gut, I it resonated with me because my mom growing up, her thing was listen to your heart. And a lot of people say that their physical manifestation of the gut is their chest or stomach. And I think... It's everyone has a different, you know, thing, but we all know what's going on and we all know no one's like, well, there are some people who I think are psychic, but we don't know. But you really know with a capital K. Yeah. You know, it's funny, like uh, thinking about people who are psychic or yeah, I'm one of those people that's like, I'm empathic. Yeah. And it's really like maybe it's a magical skill. But also, is it part of my environment that I had to be attuned to other people very young? Yeah. And that I had to, like, know, like, I had to have my gut checks when I was young. I also think that I come from a family of detectives, so 
uh, which is very funny for my views on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, you keep some of those jobs, but some of them we just reallocate, you know, exactly. you other departments. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying everyone has to is out of a job saying we get more specialized skills. Uh, yeah. But I have a family of detectives and I, I feel like that's that I have a heightened sense of uh, of first instinct gut checks and and maybe even at a young age hearing discussions of pathologies yeah wow I think so much of what we hear as a child like really absorbs and I find myself like scared around children because I don't want to affect them in any (laughs) negative way and then it's sort of like I don't get to form a meaningful connection with those children because I'm scared of impacting them negatively Oh, well, I have friends that are raising. Oh, am I cutting out? I think you're back. Yeah, you're can good. you hear me? Yeah. Okay. I I have friends that are raising small children, and they are like, "Oh my god, I was, I was so short with my kids today. Did I ruin them? I'm like, probably not. There's so many days in between now and then. As yeah. long as you, if you could explain to a child, if you could tell a child the truth more than you shield them from it you'll save them so much if you could just be like i'm sorry today if i if if i wasn't you know nice to you or if you felt i wasn't giving you enough attention i was feeling blank 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 you know that kid then learns how to you know like you said you feel disappointed by people you learn how like oh i'm not disappointed as much by that person they were going through something and it's you know, it's easier to understand why things didn't work out the way I want it because some other factors were at play here. Yeah, absolutely. There's, yeah, there's never just one factor. No. Yeah, that's... no. And most people are never trying to hurt anyone else. That's so true. Even, like, psychopaths aren't necessarily, like, being like, I want to, I mean, you know, this is, again, not 100%. But people who are like, you know, who don't care about other people just don't care. They also don't always want to torture them, you know? Yeah. Wow. I wanna... Or like narcissists, you know? Yeah, no, totally. Like, that. we need to carry that with us that we aren't that important in other people's lives most of the time. Yeah. I and mean, that's I okay. Some people are out to like really, you know, especially if you've gotten on someone's radar and you're an enemy that they're like going to take that can happen. It's just so much less likely than someone truly not factoring you into their day. And then you become an obstacle rather than a human. Right. It's so hard. Like, honestly, isn't this also it's all compassion. Like, yeah, the uh, umbrella is all like you know, the battle between being compassionate and trusting yourself, because you can also be compassionate to other people and what's they're going through, but that doesn't mean you have to subject yourself to it. Yeah. And that's where I think the gut and compassion kind of hold hands together when you can marry those things. I love that. Cause it feels negative to judge like, but if you're like, I can understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I also do not have to be a part of it. Yeah. A wise woman once said, I'm not taking that on. Yes. June Diane Raphael. <laughs> yes, right? yes. Raphael. Raphael. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, I guess 
I'll close this portion by saying that you get to choose what you take on and choose what you don't take on. And if you listen to your gut, it might be easier. Mm -hmm. Um, So now I like to do a little question um, that has to do with the word pop. Um, I call it pop ponderings. I actually just named it this morning. And there have already been episodes recorded, so um, you're the first pop pondering officially. Um, So pop is an informal term for a father. What is your favorite lesson that you ever learned from your dad? But I would like to open this up to either of your um, parental figures. Oh, man. Uh, Well, just because of you said my dad first. Um, and my parents are both together, so they're a real yin and a yang unit. Uh, (laughs) but my dad is playful. Uh, and I think I learned that from him. Like I remember so distinctly when I was a little girl and not yet brushing my own teeth that he would like sit on the floor in the bathroom and pretend that he he was a dentist chair. So he would hold me with like recline me with one arm and then talk as a dentist to me like, Oh, Miss Jaro. Oh, your teeth are looking. And he would brush my teeth. Yeah. And that sense of play and playfulness, uh, you know, I think I've taken it throughout my life because I can be a little, I can be serious, but also I know how to, I don't know, be fun and light with people. Yeah, and even in your professional life, like to go from playing with your dad to being an improviser to being a writer, like I see I see the thread. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. And, and it kind of like, I don't know, like especially when things are getting tense to be able to break the tension too. Yeah, that's huge. That's my favorite emotion is when you're feeling one thing and then the next minute you're feeling the opposite. Mm-hmm. Like you're really angry and then someone makes a joke or it's often broken up by laughter. Um, yeah. Cause that's hopefully the end goal. If you were laughing and then within a minute you're crying, that's not great. And you probably wouldn't, that wouldn't be your favorite emotion, but yeah, that's cool. I mean, what is the, what is Dolly's character in still Magnolia's that she's like laughter through tears is oh. my favorite emotion. Yes. Yeah, that is like the essence of what I'm trying to live my life, you know, because it's the highs and the lows and it's the the black and the white and everything in between and all the colors and all the grays and yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, we're very lucky we get to like just live this life and we're like having a conversation on a Monday. Um, yeah. I want to thank you for being here and before I um, – let everyone go. Uh, we're going to do passion plugs. So I'm going to go first. We're going to end on yours. Um, passion plug is basically anything you want to plug in the entire world. Um, and today my passion plug comes in honor of my cousin Margot, who for many years was the baby of our large Irish family, but somehow manages to be one of the absolutely wisest people I know. Um And someone who I don't want to provide a platform to, but I empathize with deeply, once said, listen to the kids. And that's what I'm doing today. So Margo would like you to check out uh, Chicago Freedom School, which is rooted in the long legacy of liberatory education. They provide training and education for young people and adult allies to create a just world. 
Check it out, learn more, get involved, and donate if you're able at chicagofreedomschool.org. So, uh, Marcy, what is your passion plug? Um, I'm plugging the Loveland Foundation that was founded by Rachel Cargill. And it is a foundation that partners with other places like Therapy for Black Girls, uh, National Queer and Trans Therapist of Color Network, Talkspace and Open Path. So they they work with those organizations to provide therapy to people who wouldn't always have access to it. And especially people who may be in a community where therapy isn't the norm to give that option to people, especially the past year. It's been traumatic. Yeah. So (laughs) and reentering the world as we are now, it's like everything's not going to just be great and fine. You're going to have a lot of feelings and it's really nice to have a therapist to talk through those things with. Yes. Yeah, that is a great organization. Thank you so much for sharing it with me and all the listeners. Um, Marcy, this has been a joy. And absolutely an honor to me, like having listened to you for years and looking up to you. This is huge. So, oh, my God, that's so nice. (laughs) I hope I wasn't too nervous or um, awkward, but uh, you made me feel comfortable. So I just want to say thank you once more. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah. uh, Do you want to let the listeners know where to follow you online or anything? Yes. Um, Let's see. My... I feel like I do more Instagram than anything else. And I like to say that I curate TikToks. You do. You do. (laughs) In my stories. Uh, Especially I feel like I'm uh, just at the top end of millennials. Mm -hmm. So, or, or yes, I'm like one of the older millennials. But I feel like my generation needs help with like understanding this the uh, why we like a TikTok. So anyway, but uh, on Marcy Lane, the number two, Marcy Lane two on Instagram. And you can find out all my other things from there too and podcasting and yeah. Awesome. Everything will be linked to in the show notes. I want to thank everyone for listening to Pop of Passion produced by Christine Ferreira. Um, You can follow the show on social media at Pop of Passion um, on all the places and popofpassion.com. I'm Jack Sparker. Go out and be the light living your passion.